0: You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Hello, everybody. We are the Thank You Guys This is the Word on a Hill.
1: And we are glad you have joined us. My name is Dr. Scott Powell.
0: And my name is Dr. Peter Musset. You wish. I wish I was a doctor. It takes a lot of work. It really does take a lot of work. I'm Father Peter Musset. You, you are, wish. Which is
1: more important ontologically than being a doctor.
0: Let's be honest about this.
1: I am being honest
0: onto (laughs) onto you know and my sidekick onto (laughs) dude that's that's exactly what i was thinking (laughs) Uh, you know i have not actually spent a lot of time in the in the word ontological recently like (laughs) i just feel like it fell out of vogue in my life like there i've been like looking at my life because it's been 10 years since i well it's really been 17 years since i entered religious life and like over 17 years you can kind of see trends about how like words are used and like there was a time in which ontological was like it, man. It was like onto, onto, tanto. Now the the buzzword in the Catholic world is intentional.
1: Or, uh, oh, what's the other one? Deliberate. Deliberate. I'm gonna live deliberately. Yeah, deliberately. Intentionally. I'm intentionally gonna live deliberately. Yeah, <laughs> because dude. Because of my ontological state. That's exactly it, man. No, you, you should. I respect your ontology. Dude, I respect your Not oncology. That's a very different meaning. <laughs> but yes, ontologically, what we mean by that is that when Father Peter became a priest, his whole being changed. He is different than he fundamentally different than he was before. Just like when we're baptized, we are ontologically changed. We're different than we were before that. Right. In case we've lost any of you in the first fifty seconds of the podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. Onto- anyway, ontological li- literally just means the state of being yeah. in which you exist in.
1: And Father Peter, being a priest, is ontologically higher than my being a doctor.
0: Let's it just is be true, honest. dude. So, I think a dog is licking the back of my leg. He's not.
1: There's a dog wandering around back there. This is funny. We've had uh, we've got a theme of doing podcasts with audiences of one lately. <laughs> yeah. So last week we had Keenan just sitting in the background, and this week we have Megan and oh. her dog Simon. Yep, both of whom just wandered away. Oh, they just one wandered. time we got them a shout out. They left, but <laughs> I see Megan's computer open, so she'll be back. Dude, and uh, summer's weird. Summer, we scat- this it's it's sort of representative of summer for us around the student center because
0: there's just scatterings of people. It's really wild. Um, I had uh, I had brunch last week with uh, uh, Monica Finan and her family, and uh, they hooked us up with some trolley uh, trolley. Uh, Break crawlers, oh. crawlers, sour break crawlers, and some limon um, hot Cheetos. It was in Red Bull. I mean, like it's <laughs> like pure love. Like, All the worst things we could possibly have. I always feel like so loved when when people like give me gifts out of what they know oh, about yeah. who I am, and, like. It's just the best. So thanks for loving on me. It was a totally awesome conversation. You know how it's. You know how it can be like weird when you reconnect with like high school friends. Oh, was she a high school friend? Well, actually, she was really elementary school friend. Wow. Settle yeah, up. And, and then middle school. Like I met her in between elementary and middle school, and nice. um, my brothers, our brothers tried to hook us up, and uh, <laughs> and we we just I met her at a, at a Tony Hawk skate demo. Really. Yeah. at, at the Young Americans Bank in Cherry Creek. Tony Hawk was
1: around back then. Oh, elementary school? D- dude,
0: oh no, man, this is it. Tony Hawk is like older than all of us. Well, that's and, good. And that's Monica, always reassuring. And I was like, Monica, she's cool, and we've stayed friends ever since. And uh, and her dad's a deacon, and she's super cool. So this is like <laughs> an extended shout out to one of those people to where we ended up having really good conversation. Because one of the things that can happen was like old time friends. Sometimes all you end up talking about is like the old days. Versus yeah. like actually being able to share life. Enter and, into the it, present it, moment. Yeah, you know? and like so it was just this really cool moment of having brunch with her and her family and being able to enter into this really cool present moment with them. It That's was really very fun. Cool. Well, go Monica, here's your shout
1: out. Whoop whoop. We are in the eleventh Sunday of Ordinary Time this week. Um, yes. And our readings this week are coming from, first of all, the book of Second Samuel, uh chapter twelve, verses seven through ten, and then thrown in for good measure, verse thirteen.
0: <laughs> do you want me to do the song? That responsorial psalm. is right. Psalm 32. 1 to 2, 5, 7, 11, and 5C for the responsicle. Mmm, responsicles. Dude, That's it, a summer see, treat. Yes, yeah, ever Summertime, everybody needs a responsicle, dude.
1: Hot in the fridge or cold in the freezer. <laughs> dude, <laughs> hey, Our, if you
0: have a responsicle hot in the fridge, something has gone terribly responsicles erroneous.
1: Responsicles are hot. 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 <laughs> Responsibles. Anyway, our second reading is coming from the book of Galatians, Paul's epistle, chapter two, verse sixteen, and then jumping to verse nineteen through twenty-one. Whoop whoop!
0: And then um, following that, we have the longer form of Luke. You better believe we do. Um, because like, I mean, really, are we going to no. just do the short form? No, that's not what we do on this podcast. That's not what we're all about. We're about the long form. Boom. Luke seven
1: thirty-six to eight three. Yeah, man. Boop, boop, boop. Well, that's that. Last, we've kind of jumped last week. is not yes. a news program. Simon is trying to take my mic away from no, me. No, he's
0: trying to get the ball that's underneath your feet, oh. underneath the couch that I threw. And dude, the way you just hit that couch was so delightful. The you, way I hit the couch? Yeah, with your head. He went to go look and his head just got totally jacked. I hit the mic stand. Thank you, Megan. Megan. Yeah, look at that. Simon's so happy. Right, the people don't care about this. What they care about is Second Samuel. Dude, okay, so I'm looking Let's at Give the people Samuel. what they want. Yeah, so the context of this. Context I mean, this, is key. This is like the biggest uh, story of all time. We all know this story. You it's know, a big you, one. You have King David. He's hanging out in, really, in in, in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, yeah. In, 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 the a, in the palace. In the when, palace. When he probably shouldn't have been hanging out in the palace. Well, it says explicitly he shouldn't have been hanging out in the palace. Yeah, and so so he's hanging out. And so one of the wives of one of his officers— is, um,
1: By the way, this is if you want to, the context that Father Peter is talking about, which is, which is really necessary for the reading that we're going to get this week. I, this is a great example of how the church really does presume a certain amount of knowledge upon us. Mm-hmm. That when we get certain readings in the Mass, there is a presumption that we either know or we're going to find out what the context for this is. So the context you're talking about comes from 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's the story. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 12, We've which been is
0: in the fallout from what David has done. Absolutely. So, so he's hanging out. He really shouldn't have been there. One day he wakes up. What is it? He wakes up from his siesta? Yeah, a long nap. He was lap- sleeping on the couch. Dude, which is, you know, sometimes you have to take the nap.
1: But yeah, you do. But, but the scripture, I mean, chapter 11 explicitly tells us that it was the season, it was the time of the year that kings usually go to war. And when the kings are supposed to be off at battle leading their troops, it says David was asleep taking a nap on the couch. Which that's your first sign like, oh, wait a second. And Maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe there's someplace else you ought to be.
0: And, and so meanwhile, he's like, I'm going to go out on a balcony and just see what the world is like. <laughs> and he looks over and there is um, um, I, a Bathsheba, mm. which is so funny because her name is Bathsheba and she's taking a bath.
1: It's ironic. I'll give you that. On,
0: on the roof in the middle yeah. of summer. Yeah. Do you know what bath means in Hebrew? A, uh, a tub full of water <laughs> in which you clean yourself. No, in fact, bath. Bath? It means uh, daughter. Oh, so so she's the daughter of
1: Sheba? Sheva. What does the word Sheva mean?
0: Doesn't it mean uh, like what you do right before you go to work?
1: Sheva. Uh. I'm going to go take a Sheba. No, it means oath. So literally her name means the daughter of the oath. That makes me feel uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable, partially because, remember, in the... um, uh, Sorry, so you didn't fully finish telling the story, but... Yeah, so finish telling the story, and then we'll come back to why that makes us feel so bad.
0: Here's King David. He's hanging out, looking over the balcony, and here's um, Bathsheba taking a bath after the afternoon siesta in full view of the king's balcony. Let's be honest about some here. Sometimes, like, the wiles, I mean— Okay, (sighs) I see where you're going. Well, this is the question. Was she trying to ensnare him, or was this a normal behavior?
1: My tempta- well, my temptation has always been to think that this is a normal behavior. Number one, because her bathtub's probably up there for some reason. That was just a flaw in construction.
0: Really? Right? I
1: mean, why'd they put the bathtub up there?
0: Dude, I... Do you okay. think
1: it's a little inflatable kiddie pool that she just <laughs> brought up <laughs> to the, <laughs> the room?
0: I, you, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't either. Come on. This, the, the balcony's up there. Okay, I mean, here, here's, here's the, on. What about modesty? Here's
1: the thing I wonder more, though. Did, and I don't know the answer to this. Did she think that the king was off at battle, which is where he was supposed to be? Mm. That's I think the deep. Regardless so, of why she's taking a bath up there, did she suppose? I mean, it says this is the time when the kings are supposed to be off at battle. Did she presume, hey, it's cool, I'm safe, the king's not here? I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Was she trying to get his attention? Was she trying to seduce him somehow? Or was she doing something that was innocent? I mean, on some level, I it really think, doesn't matter.
0: I, that's right. I was, I was going to say that, that there's a certain amount to where it's really important to actually leave it vague. Who's, yeah, it who, is. Who's culpable? Because in reading yeah. the story, like, we know David's culpable. Yeah, that's, that's the bottom line.
1: And, and if, so we're, and, we're alluding to it. So and, what does he do?
0: Well, and then so she, she could be culpable as well. I mean, sure, like, she, the, she very well might I be. I mean, she, she ended up culpable.
1: Yes. Well, so, I don't know. See, here's of a posi-
0: position of trust?
1: <laughs> there's a level of that, but there's also... They in- ended
0: up having an affair.
1: Yeah, they ended up having an affair, and they have a child out of wedlock. But the language that's used, and this is, this is significant because this is a theme that runs through the Old Testament. There is a theme through the Old Testament of people taking something that does not belong to them. So it goes all the way back to the garden. The verbiage used is that Eve took the fruit that she was commanded not to take. Adam took it from her. Um, You know, you get all these references to people taking things. David, the language that's used here, takes Bathsheba. Right. And again, it's left vague. I don't know what her role was in this. But I just want, I mean, if if a bunch of guards come to your house and say the king needs you to come with us right now, I don't know. I mean, this is not necessarily, I'm not seeing this as this big consensual thing. I see the king sending his warrior guards to the house of this woman to take her because he wants her. That's how I'm seeing the story. I'm not saying Bathsheba is innocent. I, I just don't know. But we do know because of the scriptural tradition, the blame is always and exclusively, at least in Scripture, placed on David. Okay. That's where we find the blame. And actually, the greater reason I think we can point toward that is the parable that
0: Nathan gives to David.
1: Right. Oh, absolutely. And that's Which maybe is where the lucidity. Did we actually get the
0: parable today? We don't get the parable. We get the yeah. we get the moral conclusion of the parable.
1: So, so nutshell, so David does this. He has a child out of wedlock with this woman. And then it gets far worse. He goes, she's the wife of this guy named Uriah the Hittite. So he goes, and he's like, oh, get Uriah, because I know his wife's pregnant, and have him come back for a little R&R, come and have a break. And, you know, he's thinking, okay, maybe he'll go. He'll sleep with his wife. She'll become pregnant. Nobody will have any idea. Everything's fine. But Uriah has such integrity. He says, no, I'm not going to go sleep in my own bed while my brother warriors are
0: out sleeping in tents on the field. I'll sleep by the doorway. Which is precisely an accusation towards Saul. Absolutely it is. You mean David? David. Yeah, David. Why did I say Saul? Because he was his dad. Okay. It's cool.
1: But yeah, so it's totally an accusation toward him, and he has integrity. So David is mad. He's, he's ticked off about this. So he says, oh, fine. And out of frustration, probably, he says, fine, send Uriah to the front lines, because then I'll know he'll be killed. Yep. And what he knows is people, all they'll know is that Uriah came back home for a little R&R. They didn't know he didn't sleep with his wife. They didn't know he didn't go and sleep in his own bed. All they know, he was at home, and now he's on the front lines, and now he's dead, and his wife is pregnant. No one will be the wiser. I've solved the problem right? <laughs> Mystery <laughs> solved. And then Nathan comes in, the the house prophet. And the prophet and the, kings, the, the house of the kings of Israel tends to be the the conscience of the king. And so Nathan comes in. It's a great story. He's like, hey, David, I want to tell you a story. And David's like, I love stories. That's great. Tell me a story. Hey,
0: hey there's this guy and he has this sh- one sheep.
1: Well, it's this man, right? It's Who is very poor.
0: Who's very poor and all he has one sheep where his neighbor has wait, all these sheep. Wait, wait, wait. Sheep.
1: wait. Remember what Nathan says. He has one sheep and he treats it like a daughter yeah a bath Oh, there's more than meets the ice like he has this one little oh. ewe lamb that is like a bath like a daughter to him so oh. there's all of these little things and he's got a next-door neighbor who's this rich and powerful king and he has tons of sheep and anything he wants to
0: and then he has some friends come over and then he's like hey we'll kill that sheep and eat it
1: yeah but literally you get the image of taking forcefully which is why i'm prone to thinking that bathsheba was taken by force because that's what happens in nathan's parable wow again i don't know but that's the way that Nathan describes it. And of course, David is furious. He's like, oh man, that guy needs to be punished, needs to be punished tenfold for what he
0: did. And what an awful person. Yeah, he and, rendered, he renders judgment in a, yeah. par- a parabolic form and then ends up rendering judgment upon himself. And then, he, then that's when we get the great line in scripture, that man is you. Yeah, or you you're are the, the man.
1: man. You're the one in the story. And then and, he's, he's like, no. Which is, the, this is the thing. I mean, the Old Testament, I, I'm totally convinced the Old Testament is designed to make you long for the New Testament in a certain sense, right? It has its own integrity. And it has its own series of fulfillments. But, I mean, think about it. David is the greatest king that Israel had. He is the best. He's the top of the heap. And this is the man who takes another man's wife, has a child out of wedlock, has, the, father, has the, the husband killed, covers his tracks, does just horrible things. And he's the best one they had. And the thing about it is David's not a great king because he defeated Goliath with a, with a slingshot. He's not a great king because he was so victorious in battle. He's a great king because when he recognizes his own sin, pointed out by his brother Aaron, I mean his brother Nathan, brother prophet, he falls on his knees and he says, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me. That's what makes him great, right? Is his recognition. Have mercy on me,
0: Lord, in your kindness, in your <sighs> compassion, blot up my offense. Have mercy on me, Lord, in your kindness, in your mercy, blot up all my offense. Dude, that was a uh, Father Stanford I know it was. I was trying to think of that song, song, dude.
1: The Zipper Zone, which is also applicable.
0: Yeah. Anyway. So, that's Psalm 51, which is, which is reportedly- <laughs> the zipper zone. No,
1: I know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, it's true. Which David probably wrote this psalm. The the thing about it, and this is a place. Well, okay, sorry. Say what you're going to say. No. Well, and and that's where we pick it up. Say what you need to say. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where we pick it up today. Nathan says to David, hey. I'm glad you've realized your own sin, but you need to understand the weight of this. And so Nathan says to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you the King of Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I I said a minute ago that Saul was David's father, which is not true. I I I, know. I I was waiting for you to repent
0: of that. Because I I know your mind is so accurate.
1: I know. I, I repent of that. Saul tried to kill David. And I gave you the Lord's house and the Lord's wives for your own. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that weren't enough, I could count up for you even more. So why have you rejected the Lord and done what is evil in his sight? I love it's very important that we note David's act of adultery, his act of impurity. Nathan calls a sin against God. It's not just a sin against Bathsheba. It's not just a sin against Uriah the Hittite. It's a sin against God himself. And David's ultimately sinning against the God who created him and gave him all these things. The heart and soul of what Nathan is saying is all the greatest things that God gave to you are not enough to save you. Being a king, being wealthy, being rich, having everything you want, having this military prowess, it's not enough to actually give you the salvation that you need. David needs more. And it's interesting. And I know we've talked about this in the podcast, but I'm always struck by it. If you read any of the histories of the kings of the ancient Near East, right? The Mesopotamian kings or the Egyptians or, you know, the Babylonians or the Assyrians. And you read the stories of their histories and their kings, and you can go, archaeologists have found all these things. Every king that they have is perfect. Every decision they make is right. Every war they fight, they win. Everything they do is righteous and just. And because the victors always write the history, right?
0: Until you get to Israel. Until you get to Israel. Which is like the, the victor, I mean, like the fact that the, the publishing of Nathan's, uh, Nathan's total judgment against what's actually taking place with David.
1: But that's the story of the Old Testament. I mean, exactly. every king is awful.
0: Exactly, it's like, and, and, and because it's exactly what you're saying there. Yeah. There, in the distortion, in the dysfunction remains a promise. And that's actually, I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago on Trinitarian Sunday of saying like, the, how there is a promise That when we know our relationships are not 100% pure, they're not all the way it worked out, and that we know that dysfunction is not actually supposed to be there. Dysfunction
1: junction, what's your function?
0: Boom! Sorry. That in fact, it actually is a promise that there is a pure reality of relationality. There's a pure relationship that is a promise. And so we see these kings and we say, Oh man, even the very best is doing this. How do we actually maintain and... And look and retain hope so that we can say, who is going to be the righteous, just king?
1: Yeah, there's also the simple fact that, I mean, all these other histories of all the kings, they're so perfect and people worship them as gods. What Israel is meant to remember is that the kings are not the gods. You'd never be tempted to worship David. Never be tempted to worship Saul or Never be tempted
0: to worship your pastor.
1: Never be te- well, never be tempted to worship the Pope. Li- the, the New Testament makes a decision. The first Pope, the one who Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom, the New Testament highlights that he was a hothead who denies Jesus three times, totally turns his back on him, whips out his sword, tries to kill a guy at the wrong reasons, gets re- rebuked by Jesus, by called Satan by Jesus. I mean, it's this built-in reminder, look, the Pope himself is not God. Peter, the one that Jesus chose, he's not the one to worship. Neither is your pastor. Neither is your bishop. It's God alone. And it's built in that you never make the mistake of doing that, right. which, is, which is just really good. But what the, new, the first reading is saying is that all the human benefits in the world will not actually save you. Right, that's, what, that's what Nathan is saying to David. You can have all of the greatest things in the world. You can be given all the benefits in the world. It cannot save you. And again, that reading is setting you up for the need for a Savior,
0: which Jesus is going to fulfill. And That's our, the heart and soul. And our psalm is actually going to fulfill. Absolutely it does. What well, points toward the fulfillment? Forgive, me, forgive the wrong I have done. Psalm just, 32. Just straight yeah. up.
1: Yeah, blessed is he whose fault is taken away, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no guilt, in whose spirit there is no guile. It doesn't say blessed is the man who never sins. Blessed is the man who is perfect. Blessed is the man who's super fantastic. Blessed is the man whose fault is taken away. How can a fault be taken away? Because you repent of it and God has forgiven you and reconciled you. David is the man who is blessed, not because he didn't do anything wrong, but because that guilt through his penance, through his repentance, is taken away. Yes. And that's really important because we can't do that for ourselves. And what Nathan is trying to say to David is you can't forgive yourself. I mean, forgive yourself. I, I, I get that's an important concept, but you're isn't not that, going to fix just, this.
0: Isn't that a Justin Bieber song? You gotta forgive <laughs> yourself. Maybe. No, that's love yourself. Maybe that's, that's off the new Justin Bieber album. Really? Did you just say that? You got to do that. Are you worked that on the podcast? Yeah. No, you 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 do what you you do dude, what you want to do. Dude, I do me. Come on, dude. You, you got do. to love yourself, man.
1: Which actually does take us perfectly into the reading from Galatians. And remember we talked a little bit about Galatians last week. Galatia, it's this region in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, of all of these churches wh- who have in large Really? I'm trying to make profound...
0: In all the clubs you get in, using my name. Come
1: on. <laughs> Come on. Dude. I actually know that song. That's <laughs> Justin Bieber? Yeah, that's Bieber, dude. Bieber. I have Bieber fever now. <laughs>
0: okay, what were you saying, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you I don't know saying what I was either. saying do <laughs> Talk to <laughs> it,
1: Father Peter. It was going to be profound, too. Dang it. It was going to be the title of the podcast. No,
0: it was. wasn't, dude. I don't know what it was.
1: Anyway, Galatia, it's these series of churches who... Paul has established, he has left people in charge, and now other people have come in to undermine Paul and tell the churches, hey, he lied to you, he was wrong, you need to reject this guy. And so Paul is writing on the defensive, saying, no, what I taught you is the truth. Who has beguiled you and who has led you in these false directions? And he's trying to show you this. And what he says to them in this passage from chapter 2 is we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, which is... Another way of saying exactly what we're hearing in the first reading.
0: No, is justified used in a different way for the Romans than it is for the Galatians? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because ju- I don't believe it cause, is. Because justified, I mean, aren't are we talking about like entrance into the family of God? Exactly
1: right. This isn't talking about who goes to heaven and who goes to hell necessarily. Salvation, justification, this is where often Christians are, are sort of misled on Paul's terminology. He says you're justified by faith. It doesn't mean... If you have faith, you're going to automatically go to heaven when you die. It means this is the the means for becoming a son or daughter of God. In the Old Testament, it was the works of the law. So Deuteronomy, circumcision, kosher food laws, all these things. Specifically, circumcision, that's what got you into the family. But the primary difference between the old law and the new law, and the new law is the Holy Spirit, right, given at Pentecost. The primary difference is that the old law could tell you the difference between right and wrong. It could tell you what you should not be doing. It could be like Nathan and say, look, you've done something really dumb. You deserve to be punished. But it couldn't give you, it couldn't empower you to actually do what you are supposed to do. Exactly. It could
0: tell you what you're supposed to do, but it couldn't actually help you do it. Right. It's, it's, it's like, here's the law, but, you know, just, just buckle down. Right. Versus, no, here, here's actually like, here's a new way. this is actually the way and the truth and the life.
1: But it begs the question, why would God wait so long and let the people suffer under this law that was never going to save them if he didn't have to? And the answer Paul actually gives it in Romans, he alludes to it, which is that God needed to take so much time so that we, the people of God, could actually see that we need a savior. The law is not going to do it. The kingship of David is not going to do it none of these things are actually going to make us the people we want them to make us, that God wants us to be. But the problem was they believed that they could. David seems to believe Mm. that his kingship can make him the man he Uh. wants to be. People believe the Pharisees in the gospel reading believe that the words of the laws of Deuteronomy and the extra laws they've written on top of them will actually succeed in making them the people they want to be, or God wants them to be. And what Paul is saying to the Galatians is that's not true. And the reason God allowed you to have this law and suffer under the weight of it for so long was precisely to show you that the law could not do it. Mm. It could remind you, it could tell you again and again, it could be Be like Nathan. The law was like Nathan. Nathan is very good. And the law is very good because sometimes we need to be accused of our own sin. And we need to have someone tell us, look at what you've done. That's what the law can do. But it can't take us beyond that. And that's why we actually need Jesus. That's Paul's point in Galatians is that we need Jesus to actually take us out of where David was.
0: Right. Does that make sense? It, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, that's why when the 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 guy who comes up to Jesus and says, uh, "Hey, what what's the uh, summary of the law? What's, yeah, the yeah, y- yeah. what's the yoke?" and and then he answers with understanding. It's, it's it's worth more than all burnt sacrifices, burnt offerings. He's saying that like like the the truth of the way that you're talking about is worth more than every ounce of of of. Um, legal effort
1: which even that is clear in the Old Testament where God makes it clear I desire mercy and not sacrifice yep and the people don't get that they don't understand that there is actually something more than what they can see right which is precisely what Jesus gets to in the gospel and the gospel the Gospel of Luke is what where we get this the theme so each of the gospel writers has a particular theme they're all telling I think I'm crying on my while I ain't. Wha- <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That was, that was good timing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> One is- of these days, the tables will be turned.
0: Dude, you keep trying to. T- <laughs> and you get very frustrated when I do. Uh, you do. I, I, like, I always am like, dude, it makes me go to the top of my game. <laughs> I'm just a coach, dude. My job in your life is to like work you in totally absurd circumstances, so that when they come in and they're like, ah, oh, blah 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 blah, they're like, "Who is they, dude? Who are they, you talking about?" Those are the ones who need to encounter Jesus Christ, and and you're going to be like, "Dude, I'm so thankful for Father Peter for training me on how to handle distractions when I'm trying to make a profound point." Mm. What were you saying, by the way? <laughs> you to the gospel writers.
1: <laughs> Remember, the gospel writers are all essentially telling the same story, right? Jesus's birth, his mission, his uh, ministry, his passion, his death, and his resurrection, right? But they each are telling it. And his ascension, yes. Come on, absolutely. Absolutely. But they're all telling it with a slightly different perspective and a slightly different um, emphasis. The emphasis of Luke is the idea of mercy. And that mercy is the top. I mean, this is why Luke begins Jesus' public ministry with the announcement of the Jubilee year. Oh, yeah. Which is an act of mercy, forgiving people of their debt. Of which uh, we're of in slavery still right now. Absolutely, we are. The Jubilee year of mercy, that yeah. called for by Pope Francis. Emergency, which is
0: emergency Jubilee.
1: Emergency Jubilee, because people need to be set free from their slavery, right. which is what the Pope has, has told us. And we need to set one another free of those things. David needed to be set free. And actually, I mean, the, the tragedy of David, who does recognize his sin, he dwells in the midst of the slavery of that sin for a long time. And you see him working it out through the Psalms. And that's necessary. And it is necessary sometimes that we come face to face with our sin. But there also comes a point where we need to be freed of mm-hmm. it. And so the theme of Luke is um, uh, aphasis, is the Greek word, which means to be released from, to be set free of. And this... Reading this passage that we have here, I think maybe best embodies Luke's idea of being set free and being given mercy. So what do we have? We have the story where a Pharisee, some Pharisee named Simon, invites Jesus to dine with him. And I don't know if this Pharisee is inviting Jesus because he's trying to trick him or you know, trying to figure him out. Maybe there's a genuine curiosity. He's like, I wanna to get to know this Jesus. I don't know who this Pharisee is. Yep. We don't know his intentions, but he invites him to have a meal. And Jesus goes to the Pharisee's
0: house. He's sitting on the couch, he's reclining a table. Which, it, which is always important to remember. The invitation of Christ is always answered. Yes, he nope. come, he's going to
1: come in and sit on your couch.
0: Yeah, yeah, regardless of like what your experience and like what your, your like hope of, of, of like what's going to happen. Am I going to trip him up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, okay. like, I mean, I can think of so many literary, literary converts who said, I'm going to totally disprove Jesus Christ yeah. wrong. And they invite him in and the next thing yeah. you know, they're like, he's pretty cool. No, it's
1: true. Yeah, I like him. And sometimes, like the story of Zacchaeus, sometimes Jesus invites himself to your house without you asking. He's like, I'm coming over today. Get ready, clean it up, right? Right. Which is cool. So this guy invites him. Uh, So Jesus is sitting there. He's at the table. Come on over,
0: hook me up. (laughs) We'll have some dinner. And it says that,
1: um, seriously, Simon. It says now there was a sinful woman of the city who learned that he was at table in the house of this Pharisee. And she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and she stood behind him, his, at, behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with his tears. And she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and she anointed them with the ointment. And the Pharisee gets ticked off about this.
0: It's kind of like Simon right now licking my feet. Oh, wow. And I wish you could it, all and, see and, and then wiping it away with his hair. The ear with his hair.
1: <laughs> ear, Simon's ears are what I imagine the woman's hair to have looked like. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but think about this. So... If you guys have heard the story before, if you're familiar with it, the Pharisees always the bad guy. Because this woman comes in, she does this profound work of mercy to Jesus. She anoints him, she washes his feet, and the Pharisee's ticked off. And he's like, if you really understood what kind of woman this is, you'd have sent her away. I mean, this is a sinful woman. Right. And we want to make the Pharisee the bad guy, and he is kind of a bad guy. But we also forget, just imagine you invite someone over to your house for dinner, And some random prostitute like climbs in the window and starts pouring ointment on your guest. You're like, (laughs) what are you doing here? I mean, (laughs) it's just weird. I think we just need to reconcile the fact that this is a strange scene. Regardless of how the Pharisee is treating this woman when she's there, the fact that she just wandered into his house off the street and starts doing these things, it's just strange. Just like what you're doing to Simon now is strange. I'm I'm petting Simon by
0: wagging his ears. Whatever you're doing.
1: Anyway. So there she is. And the Pharisee again. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman this is who I is mean, touching him. The implication is that she's a prostitute. I, mean, just, I, I said that. And yeah, we yeah. don't know for sure, but that's
0: I mean, just imagine tradition. you're you're on your front porch or you're on your back porch, you're hanging out, somebody's walking down the alley, this gal comes up, she's like, Oh my gosh, I know who that is. And but like, it's not even that.
1: You're in your dining room.
0: I mean, at least if you're on your back
1: porch, there's some but you're in the dining room. She had to come in the house.
0: Yeah, dude, it was weird. Be, it would be way intense. Yeah, it would. Or, I mean, if he lived in a tent, it'd be very intense. Oh, my gosh. Yes.
1: So he's mad. And that he says if she would have known, he would know she is a sinner. And I love Jesus' response. He says to him in replies, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people were in debt. So Jesus goes full parable mode. Jesus, by the way, only goes into parable mode out of judgment. Out of judgment. When like, someone's like doing something like Nathan, we we, we that's think of, our connection today. We think of parables, and we're like, "Oh, Jesus teaches in parables because they're easy to understand, and they're about wine and weeds and and grass and flowers and stuff, because that's what people get." But no, he only teaches in parables to throw people off and to call people out and to confuse people. Parables have the ability to conceal and reveal simultaneously. Right. So with Nathan and David he conceals the truth of this parable until the exact moment that he wants David to see it. But it's concealed Some of the fathers of the church said it's like fishing. It's like bait on a fishing hook and you're going for the bait. And before you know it, you're hooked. Right. right. And it's got you. And you're like, well, no. Yeah. So he's telling this parable and he said, there's two people who were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days wages. The other owed 50. They were both unable to pay for the debt. So he forgave them both. He literally released it. He, effaced, uh, effaced. Uh, uh, both of them. I tried to conjugate a Greek word, which I shouldn't have done. Who will, which of them will love him more? And Simon said in the reply, well, I, as this woman is crying and pouring ointment all over his floor, he's like, uh, well, I guess the one whose larger debt was forgiven. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then he turned to the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? That's my favorite line. Do because you see her? It's not a rhetorical question. Simon doesn't see a woman. He sees walking sin. He doesn't see this woman. He doesn't see this as a person who's coming to his house. He sees walking sin embodied, Mm. sitting on his floor, and he wants nothing to do with her. Do you see this woman, Simon? Because the answer is no, you don't see a woman. You see something else. When I entered your house, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she's bathed them with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kissing me since the time I entered. You didn't anoint me with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, many sins have been forgiven because many her sins have been forgiven because she has sown great love. He who forgives uh, to whom little is forgiven, loves little. And he said to her, her sins are forgiven. That parable that Jesus spoke, there's someone with a lot of sin who've been forgiven. Then there's someone with a little sin, who've been forgiven. Which one's going to love him more? Well, the one with the greater sin. In the story, who do you think is the one for Jesus who has the greater sin?
0: Pharisee. It's probably the Pharisee. Right.
1: And that's what he doesn't see. That's what the parable is concealing. so big because he's, he's like, well, a prostitute, she has huge sin, right? But no, it's the one who actually can't see the woman behind the prostitute. Right. That's the greater sin.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: And but what he's saying in that, this isn't just merely calling out this Pharisee to show what a jerk he is. He's talking about if the people who have these huge debt, this sin, realize that it's being forgiven them, right. what rejoicing they would have. He's telling Simon, I want to forgive you. He's, I want to set you on, you on right. the
0: hook. But, and if he would pay attention, then he would realize that being on the hook was actually a hook of mercy. Exactly. Wow. But what I've is he putting his trust that. in? His own
1: law, right? Galatians, right? I am saved by the works of the law. This woman surely will have to be saved by the works of the law. No. So says Paul in Galatians, it's by Jesus and Jesus alone, right? The Pharisee is blind to the truth of the story, the Pharisee. And I don't know what happens to this Pharisee, but for now he is, if David he's, he's like David, if he totally missed the point of Nathan's story. And is just blinded to it. David Oof. actually sees it. The Oof. Pharisee is blind to it.
0: Wow. Jesus is
1: trying to say to the Pharisee, you are the man. That man is you. And the Pharisee cannot accept it. Again, this is why David's so great. Not because he was sinless. Because, but because he, he could take it. Yeah, he could take it. And he could recognize the truth of it. And that's Ooh. what this Pharisee can't seem to do.
0: Ooh, man. Yeah. Dude, you just laid it out. How'd you lay that out, man? I was like on the hook, and the next thing you know, I'm like, boom, mercy, hurt, er, er, dude. It was like that hang- was my hooking It was like hanging out with Keenan. <laughs> How so? <laughs> Every once in a while, he'll fish hook you, dude. He,
1: oh, he does fish hook a lot. So does yeah. Bree. Does They're Bree, perfect together. Bree fish hooks, dude. He, she fix, fish hooks Keenan.
0: Oh, rightly, yeah. rightly, yep. And Bo. So, so don't be, don't be the Pharisee. Don't be the Pharisee. Well, actually, yeah, be the Pharisee in, yeah. in realizing that you have tried to do everything on your own. And in fact, you're actually meant to have faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the thing, though. You mentioned that Pope Francis, so again, Luke is all about release.
1: All of this gospel is about being set free, being released, right? Being right. given mercy, which is precisely what Pope Francis has called the emergency year of mercy for, mm. to be set free. And what's the the... Probably the strongest theme of Pope Francis's pontificate, besides the concept of mercy, is the concept of encounter, mm, right? Enquintro. Seeing other human beings. Oh. This is why he's talking about the poor. This oh. is why he's establishing showers for the homeless in the Vatican, because he says you need to see the dignity in the human being. Why is that so significant for this? Because Pope Francis is calling us, the whole church, in mercy to do what Simon could not do, Mm. which was encounter this woman. Mm. You can't actually understand mercy unless you understand encounter. You can't offer mercy to another human being unless you encounter them as a person. You cannot receive the mercy of God unless you're prepared for God to encounter you. Otherwise, we're closed off to it. Yes. So that's why Pope Francis's Year of Mercy and this particular reading from Luke chapter 7 actually tie together intimately. Yes. Because it's all about encounter. If we can't encounter, and that's what David, again, has going for him. He sees Nathan and he understands the encounter. And maybe, I wonder, David standing there listening to Nathan's story, being called out. I wonder, you know, we can dream, we can speculate, we can meditate. What if in David's mind he, saw, he met Uriah the Hittite's eyes? He encountered him in that moment and was like, oh, or he encountered Bathsheba. Mm. He's like, I never really looked at you like a person. You were just a thing to be taken. Or Uriah, you were a thing to be taken. You were a problem to be solved. And what if in that moment of the parable, he sees their eyes and he encounters them? That's what makes him drop to his knees because mm. he sees the inherent dignity in these people. That's why he has sinned against God, because he didn't see the God-given dignity in the human beings that he has just used. That's why the story from Luke is a perfect counterpoint to the reading from Second Samuel, I think. Boom.
0: Wow, I'm, I'm here speechless and really, dude, I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of the grace of Jesus Christ who poured out in the midst of this, um, this podcast. That's
1: better. Simon's trying to run off with the gummy worms. <laughs> he really is, dude. He's
0: like, no, these gummy worms are not yours, brah.
1: <laughs> we love you guys. Have a beautiful day. We will be back next week. Have a okay. great week. Okay, peace. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.